0: Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Mile End Service. To hear talks from each of our services, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org.
1: I'm going to read the passage. It's 1 Corinthians 12 from verse 16. So if you have your Bibles, you might want to follow along as I read. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Why don't we give Hannah a massive round of applause as she comes to share God's word with us.
2: Good evening, everybody. It's lovely to be here this evening and to see some familiar faces. Um, It has been a long time. I haven't been here for about seven, eight years. So it's lovely um, to be back. Um, As Joel said, I'm Hannah and I'm married to Mudjtaba and together we live in Shepherd's Bush, so all the way over the other side of London. Um, And it's really special for me to be here um, this evening as a representative of Open Doors. For my job, I have the amazing privilege of speaking in lots of churches all over London. Um, But being here this evening is particularly special because Christ Church is actually the first place where I started taking seriously my discipleship to Christ. And it's actually um, here when I was part of the East Service that I started on the path that has led me to where I am today. So it's yeah, lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, for those of you who haven't heard of open doors before, um, we are an international Christian ministry seeking to serve Christians around the world where there is a cost to following Christ, where our brothers and sisters experience extreme forms of persecution. And one of the ways that we do this is through bridging the divide between Christians like us in England, where we're free to worship and follow the way of Christ, with Christians in other parts of the world where there is a cost to following him. Perhaps following the way of Jesus in your home country becomes so impossible that you are forced to flee and become a refugee in a foreign land. Perhaps coming to a meeting like this one is, well, quite frankly, this just wouldn't be happening in lots of countries around the world. But if you did attend a meeting, maybe that would lead to your arrest or may even endanger your life. Believe me, I know for many of us, especially in this context, that's really hard for us to even begin to imagine or even start to comprehend But I don't think that is a reason for us to turn our backs or disengage. And to help us um, this evening to understand more about this issue, um, I'd like to share a short video with you which explains a little bit more about the top 10 countries where persecution is most extreme.
0: Could praying put you in danger? Could going to church risk your life? Could following Jesus cost you your job, your home, or your family? Around the world today, our Christian brothers and sisters are counting the cost of their faith. And these are the 10 countries where the price of following Jesus is highest. Number 10, Afghanistan. The Taliban hunts for hidden networks of believers. Suspected Christians can be arrested, interrogated, and even killed. At number nine, Iran. House churches are seen as a threat to national security. Pastor Anoushevan has started serving a 10-year prison sentence after 30 agents raided his home. Sudan is at number eight. In the chaos and conflict of civil war, Christians are especially vulnerable. Believers have been attacked, their property looted, and churches closed. Number seven, Pakistan. Pakistani Christians are seen as second-class citizens. False accusations of blasphemy result in innocent believers facing mob violence. Christian girls continue to be abducted and forced to convert to Islam. Nigeria is at number six. More Christians are killed for their faith in Nigeria than in all the other countries of the world combined. Pastor Zachariah came home one day to find his village attacked and his wife and son murdered by militants. Number five, Yemen. The very small number of Yemeni Christians must worship in secret. House church leader Salah is on the wanted list, but despite death threats, he courageously continues his ministry. At number four is Eritrea. Christian activities are severely restricted When Abdullah told people about Jesus, he was sent to prison. The conditions were so terrible that he never came out alive. Libya is number three on the list. Libya considers itself to be a completely Islamic nation. Libyan believers who tell others about Jesus risk arrest and violent opposition. Number two, Somalia. In this highly restrictive Islamic society, Even the suspicion of being a Christian is extremely dangerous. Converts who are discovered may instantly pay with their lives. And at number one, North Korea. This remains the most costly place in the world to be a Christian. Even owning a Bible is illegal. Jiho's father was taken away when security agents discovered his secret book. She never saw him again. Christians are sent to appalling labour camps or simply killed on the spot. More than 365 million Christians face high levels of persecution and discrimination. That's one in seven Christians globally, and every one of them a son or daughter, a mother, a father, a child of God. For nearly 70 years, Open Doors has been supporting our persecuted church family helping them to stand strong. They are counting the cost of following Christ. And with your help, they can keep believing, knowing that Jesus is worth everything.
2: As disciples of the way of Jesus, we have the honour and privilege of being part of one extensive, beautiful and unified family. This family is beautiful. It is the body of Christ, of which every single one of us is a part. But a part of this body, our family is hurting. And it's not just a small part. As the video just said, over 365 million of our brothers and sisters around the world are facing suffering, loss, and persecution. But what does this mean to me, a Christian living in London, where I'm free to follow the way of Jesus, attend church, and share his good news? If I'm really honest, I didn't think this meant anything to me until relatively recently. It certainly wasn't something that I was thinking about when I moved to London as a student in 2013. I'd gotten into goldsmiths to train to become an art psychotherapist and was ready to study, but was also ready to live as wildly as I possibly could, experiencing anything and everything that came my way. I don't know if there's any Goldsmith students in the room, but Goldsmith is quite well known for being very arty, very creative, a bit out there, and as soon as I arrived, I got properly sucked into uni life. I started going out dancing as much as I could, started drinking far too much, and started taking lots of different types of drugs with my friends. As I saw it, the most important thing in my life was to have fun and enjoy myself. Having been brought up in a Christian family, I knew the truth about Jesus, but had not yet made the decision to live life according to his way and to become his disciple It's a long story, but um, I was wrestling with this when I turned up at Christchurch at the Mermaid Theatre at the beginning of my second year. And I can't remember exactly when it was. I think it was either the first or the second week, Um, but I heard Hannah Elwin preaching, and she spoke about Refugee Support Network, um, which I think is now called Refugee Education UK. And in that summer, the summer of 2014, I had been absolutely horrified um, by what I'd seen on the news about ISIS invading Syria and Iraq. I'm sure many of you will remember those scenes that we saw when thousands and thousands of people were displaced. And so when Hannah shared about an opportunity to become a mentor um, for a young, unaccompanied refugee, I signed up straight away. Little did I know that that decision set the trajectory for almost the next decade of my life. As well as being a mentor with REUK, I also started volunteering at a charity working with people seeking asylum in Peckham. And through that, a friend and I set up some therapeutic art groups at an initial accommodation centre where asylum seekers were living. Working with those who had experienced forced displacement had a profound effect on my life and on my faith journey. Reflecting back, I can see that it was here that I started walking with Jesus. I was meeting many people, especially from Syria, who had escaped the conflict there, and for the first time in my life, I found myself on my knees in prayer, desperately asking Jesus to meet people in their pain. The weight of the distress that I was witnessing um, was, it felt like way too much for me to cope with in my own strength, and actually it was that that led me to accepting the truth that I'd always known, but had until that point chosen to ignore, that Jesus really is the hope of the world. And I would just like to say here that Christchurch was instrumental at this time um, through not only um, introducing me to RE UK, but also financially supporting the art groups and through praying for me. I don't think there was a single Sunday when I wasn't right at the front, um, desperately asking for someone to pray for me. Um, And I also joined the Social Action Connect group, which was just such a wonderful support. So, towards the end of my degree, I was thinking, you know, what can I do next? I'd gotten so involved in this work um, with asylum seekers, so I decided, as you do as a 22-year-old, to move to Turkey. And um, that's where I was going to continue my work, um, working with people who had been displaced by the war in Syria. And um, Christchurch also generously offered to support me whilst I was out there, which was just so appreciated. Um, I should say though, that I was only supposed to be there for six months and I did end up staying for two years. So you never know what's gonna happen um, when you get on a plane. Um, So a few weeks after my graduation, I jumped on a plane and relocated my whole life to a small town just outside Istanbul. And it was there that I decided to join a local church, um, which I should point out is somewhat rare. There aren't many believers in Turkey. And so this church was actually, um, it was just a really precious place. And it was wonderful that the town that I'd moved to had this church there. Um, But this particular church just happened to be quite a large church um, with three different congregations who met um, throughout three three different times throughout the day, and um, there was a Turkish-speaking congregation that was quite small, and then uh, in the afternoon, there was a Farsi-speaking group, which was made up of believers from Iran and Afghanistan, and then an Arabic-speaking group met together in the evening, and that was attended um, mostly by people from Syria and Iraq. And um, being from a small village in Sussex, this was a somewhat different church experience um, for me. Um, Most of the people who attended that church had been forced to flee from their homes for various different reasons, including war and religious persecution. Due to my role working with Syrian refugees in the local area, I joined the Arabic-speaking congregation and learnt quite quickly that most of the attendees had arrived within the previous year when ISIS had invaded their towns and villages in the Nineveh Plains. These were the very people the Lord had broken my heart for in the summer of 2014. It was their plight that had forced my self-seeking inward gaze outwards towards what was happening in the world around me. As Christians, their lives were in grave danger. So when ISIS invaded, they fled instantly, leaving everything behind. And one of these people who I met at church um, is a girl who I'll call Sarah, and she's still one of my closest friends. Sarah is from a wealthy family from Mosul. Both of her parents are retired doctors and um, they had just recently completed building their dream home where they were planning on living out the rest of their retirement. When ISIS invaded Mosul, their home city, they fled for their lives. I remember the day when... Um, Sarah showed me a photo that a neighbor had sent her and her parents of this dream home that they had built together, and it had been totally ransacked by the terrorist group. Even all of the sockets had been pulled out of the walls. There really was nothing left. And I remember singing hymns in the Arabic-speaking congregation and being so moved as I saw people who had literally lost everything because of their identity as Jesus followers, making the choice to continue to worship Jesus, the one who is worthy of it all. And we'd regularly sing um, a hymn based on the words words of Psalm 91 where it says, he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. For me, never before had these words carried such meaning. Iraq is number 18 on the Open Doors World Watch list. We just saw um, the top 10 countries in the video. 125,000 Iraqi Christians have been forcibly displaced, from their homes since ISIS invaded in 2014. I know a lot of you won't remember me, but the few of you who are here that do remember me, you may be interested to know that this church is also where I met my husband, Medjtaba. Um, If you want to hear the full story, feel free to chat with me afterwards. Um, But Mujtaba was part of the um, Farsi-speaking congregation. He was one of the leaders. And he had arrived in Turkey almost one year, almost exactly one year before I arrived. Um, And Mujtaba is from Iran, which is number nine on the Open Doors World Watch list. Um, As most people are in Iran, Mujtaba was brought up in a Muslim home and um, he encountered Jesus powerfully at the age of 18. This encounter was so significant that he decided to, uh, to dedicate his life to following Jesus and serving his church no matter the cost. At the age of 20, Mujtaba's family home was raided by intelligence service officers, and he was arrested alongside his big brother, his big sister, and his dad, who had also become Christians. After 22 days in a solitary confinement cell, he was released with a bail and a suspended sentence. Despite the horrors of what he had experienced as a 20-year-old young man, um, he decided to continue leading these house churches because he could not deny the changes that Jesus had made in the life of his family and in his own life as well. So alongside his brother and his siblings, they continued to disciple people and they saw their house groups grow and continue to grow and grow in number. Three years later, one of these house churches that was meeting um, secretly in somebody's home was raided again by intelligence service officers and Majdaba, alongside the other leaders, was handcuffed, blindfolded, and taken again to the solitary confinement space, where he spent another 30 days, alongside daily interrogations. After 30 days, he was sent to prison, where he spent three years. But why? For a very simple reason, for choosing to follow Jesus and to honor his great commission to share the gospel and go and make disciples. So, as we heard in our reading in Corinthians chapter 12, Paul, when speaking about the body of Christ, our church family says, if one part suffers, Every part suffers with it. This is an extraordinary and bewildering statement, and is one that I think really requires our attention. The body of Christ, our church family, has suffered tremendously and is still facing extreme forms of persecution in many countries not just Iran and Iraq. If one part suffers every part suffers with it. I believe in this bold statement Paul is conveying to us a deep empathetic and compassionate connection that the Lord intends for his body our global family If my sister in Christ living in Iraq suffers for her faith, do I suffer too? If she is forced out of her home, loses all of her possessions, and seeks asylum in a faraway land, does my heart break for her? Am I moved? Or am I overwhelmed with everything that is in front of me already? I I don't know about you, but sometimes I find it hard to look at the news, even where I live around me and the community around me. There's a lot going on. So it's easy to feel overwhelmed. But I think um, there is a choice here for us to remember our brothers and sisters, sisters and to enter into their suffering by lifting them up. In prayer. Earlier in the chapter, it says, Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink, even so the body is not made up of one part but of many. I don't think that this empathy, connection, and oneness between different members of the body is automatic. It seems to me that Paul is asking us to actively engage in these issues and in the suffering of our family members. And you might be sitting there thinking, okay, Hannah, that's easy for you. You're married to somebody who's experienced extreme persecution. But actually, I believe this applies to each and every one of us. We are all the body of Christ. And we are all bound together by our faith. Um, in Hebrews it says, continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Again, in this verse, I think that we are being reminded of Jesus's intention for his body, the church that we should be so intrinsically connected that the pain of another would be felt as our own. This is such a powerful visual image to imagine yourself in prison as um, others literally are. And this, um, this image is as relevant to us today as it was when it was written. As we speak, there are thousands of Christians um, in vast labor camps in North Korea. Current estimates suggest that there are over a 1,000 Eritrean um, Christians imprisoned without being charged of any crime. And I personally know of a number of Iranian Christians who have served lengthy prison sentences for doing Just what we're doing right now, meeting together, worshipping Jesus, um, praying together. Exactly six weeks ago today, um, on Christmas Eve, whilst most of us were probably doing last-minute preparations for Christmas, peeling potatoes, watching a Christmas film... In Plateau State in Nigeria, 160 Christians were murdered by militant groups. Eight churches were burnt to the ground, and as a consequence, as many as 15,000 people are now internally displaced. Every so often, people will come up to me and say, I really care about persecuted Christians, but I feel helpless. I don't know what to do. But I believe there is a very simple instruction here in Hebrews, to remember. And I think this is a really good place for us to start, to remember. To allow ourselves to take time out of our busy schedules to think about, to read about, to get informed about brothers and sisters who are being persecuted because of their faithfulness to Jesus and his calling on their lives. And to allow that remembering to bring us to a place of prayer where we're praying with empathy, understanding and a closeness. For those who are suffering. If you feel um, led to pray or to find out more um, this evening about the persecuted church... I'm not really scary. Please, please do come and chat with me afterwards. I would love to help you um, sign up and um, to receive our regular prayer updates. Um, after all, this isn't necessarily information that you'll find um, readily available um, in the news. So yeah, please do chat with me afterwards if you're interested. In our praying and remembering, we have some incredibly valuable lessons to learn from our persecuted family. There is a mutual flow of grace that we both benefit from. Our prayers really do help people stand strong despite everything that they are experiencing. But at the same time, their boldness in the face of suffering, their courage and defiance in the face of adversity, pain and loss is such a powerful reminder to us of how precious our Lord Jesus is. Surely he is worthy of everything that we have and all that we are. In the worship time we were singing, you deserve it all. It has been so precious for me to be here with you this evening. And thank you so much for listening to what I've had to say. Christ Church really has been um, so instrumental in my own um, spiritual um, discipleship to Christ. So thank you for having me. And this is just such a wonderful church. And it's my prayer really for you this evening that the message of the persecuted church would give you strength, embolden you in faith and be a powerful reminder to you that the good news of Jesus that binds us all together is an unstoppable gospel. Despite tremendous opposition, this gospel is reaching new hearts, changing lives and expanding the church all over the globe. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you this evening and acknowledge again that you are King of kings, Lord of lords. And Jesus, we say that you are worthy. You are worthy of everything that we have and all that we are, Jesus. As we sang earlier, we lay our crowns before you because you deserve it all. And I thank you, Lord, for the reminder that our brothers and sisters are to us who are facing persecution. That you really are um, worth it all. That you are so precious. It's in you that we experience fullness of life. It's in you that we find hope for our lives so really lord you are worthy and so we just recommit our lives to you again jesus and ask that you would help us in our busy schedules when we get distracted by everyday things will you remind us that you are worthy of it all jesus and Lord we pray this evening even as we gather now for our brothers and our sisters around the world in Iran in Afghanistan in Somalia in North Korea Lord Jesus will you meet with them now we pray Holy Spirit will you fill them afresh with your with your courage with wisdom and with joy that surpasses understanding, even despite their situation, with peace as well, Lord. We ask that they will be able to stand strong in their faith, despite everything that's happening around them. And Lord Jesus, we remember them this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.